So this morning, I'm going to share a little bit about a, of a, of a you can call it a testimony, a, a piece of my life, a, a, a little, just a little ways back, something that God did in my life, and I hope that it, it's helpful to you. Um, but then at the end, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of teach you this thing that we call a rule of life or a rhythm that you can have with God in your life. And really, because a lot of you have kind of recommitted or, or for the first time you've got Jesus in your life. And if you guys, if we just say, Lord, I, wanna, I, I believe in you, I have faith in you, I trust you. And then we leave that there and we walk on. And we don't really acknowledge and enter into the fact that, no, we have entered into a relationship with Jesus. We now get to have friendship with God. And we, we are worshipers of him, followers of him. And we follow his teachings and we, we abide in him. We stay with him. And, and sometimes that's got to be kind of sometimes intentional in this world. Otherwise, we forget about it. It even happens to us. Who are, I've, been a, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. And in fact, I made the word a turning point in my life where I had really started walking in my faith in a deeper way happened here. Big Stump. Anybody in Big Stump? Is there still a big stump, Kevin? Yeah. It happened right there, little Brian. Maybe you're sleeping in my bunk, I don't know. No, I'm sure my, my bunks are in the junkyard somewhere by now. It's a long time ago. I'm a pastor, but yet there are times that I slide in my walk with the Lord. I'm not as intentional. And so God did something in my life to kind of reset my pace with him. And I want to share that with you because I want you to be able to take it down the hill and be able to be successful, walk in your life, be transformed, and be more and more like Jesus, right? And be close to him. So that's, that's we're going to do an exercise together with, with your cabin groups at the end of today. So not this past Christmas, but the one before I got to take was called a sabbatical. And sabbatical is where, you know, there's different occupations that get to take a sabbatical. Professors do sometimes, and to go write a book or something. Pastors, we get to take sabbaticals. And it's almost 10 years and hadn't had one. And it is, it, it, you're like, why do you get one? Pastors, I, I can tell you, unless you're a pastor, it's different. Like, it just, I was tired. I needed some refreshing and some time away. And our church had gone through some hard years and some really good years, but good and bad, it's all, it's exhausting because you're constantly entering into people's pain and burden with them and their victories and your leading and all this stuff and I, I needed a break. And so the church had, had said, hey, Brian, you need to take a sabbatical. It's time. So I got three months off, and I got from October 1st all the way to January 4th off of that year, and I was so looking forward to it because I needed the rest, and a sabbatical isn't all playtime, right? There's a lot of rest and relaxation and time with my family, but it's also purposeful where I do studying, I do prayer, I do fasting because I'm to be refreshed in the spirit and walk with the Lord and just kind of, you know, set that, that button. So I had all these plans. I was looking forward to it. I had, I had great great plans for my sabbatical man i had it planned out and these agendas and all this stuff and what i was going to do and we went on right out of the gate i just wanted to relax so my family and i went to morro bay for a week we came back so about a week into my sabbatical i had i mean i had this to-do list i was gonna get all these projects done and i don't have to answer the phone this is gonna be great and so about a weekend i'm on a bike ride with my boys and i'm on my mountain bike and god changed the plan for my sabbatical because I was riding down the street, and we're going at a pretty good clip, right? And we're riding on my mountain bike, and I look into the street, and there's this little kid, and he's toddling out in front of this car that is coming. And I'm like, man, the worst is going to happen. So I literally, I fly off my mountain bike, and I grab that kid, and I roll. 
and I grab the kid in one arm, and I take my foot, and I stop the car with my other leg, is the story that I wish I could tell you. But what happened was I was riding down the street, and I literally fell over nothing. Have you guys ever done that? I wish I could tell you I saved someone's life. It was amazing. But we're driving, going down the street, and we're going pretty fast, and there's this driveway, this little mini-mart thing, and there's a little lip, and I got caught parallel on it. My tires went like this, and I went like this. Whoo! And I flew for what, I, I think it was several miles. And I landed, and I got up, and I had road rash all over my shoulder, my elbow, my ankle kind of hurt. My bike was a little bit messed up, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm okay, though. I'm okay. So I, I take it home, and my, my two boys were like this. Because how often do you really see your dad fall like that? Biff it hard, right? My boys were like, I'm not sure if they were proud or embarrassed, or maybe both. I don't know. But I got up. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And then the next, I go to bed that night, and I wake up in the morning. And when I open my eyes, I was 47 years old then. Don't do the math to see how old I am now. So 47. And I wake up, and the number 47 is literally standing over me in my bed going, ha, ha, ha. You're old. You're not going to get off that easy when you fall that hard, right? I'm like, what are you talking about, 47? I'm fine. I go to get out of bed. I went, oh. I had this pain that was all the way from my hip down to my ankle, like that sciatic nerve. And I'm like, and I know the pain because I had back surgery five years before that. And I was like, oh, man, this stinks. But I'm going to push through it. I'm going to push through it. My back is trash. But I'm going to push through it. It's fine. So, that morning after breakfast, I'm in the garage, and I'm standing at a table that I was painting for my wife, and all of a sudden, my body right there in that moment declared, I hate you. And it, this pain, I had such pain in my leg, I could not do anything but this. I'm going to be sensitive to the mic. Ah! But it was like a thousand times louder, but it was echoed around the world. So have you guys heard that around last Christmas? That was me, right? It hurt so bad. In fact, it hurt so bad for months and months and months that I would, several times a day, this is just getting up out of bed because I was just could barely move. I would have to scream uncontrollably for like 30 seconds until the pain stopped. It hurt so bad. Fast forward to the results of my back, MRI months later because I was stubborn. Turned out I had two discs pushing on my nerve and one on my spinal cord and everything's okay now, physical therapy and all that stuff, and I'm just careful, and God's healed me. I'm back to, to semi-normal. I'm exercising and all that, so it's been good. But what that did, I, I had to ask God is why. Why, God, when I finally had this opportunity for this three months to have this freedom to do all the stuff that I want to get done, why would you let this happen to me? I don't deserve this, man. I was having a little pity party. I do 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 me. So here's what I realized, because I started reading this book on my sabbatical, Peter Scazzaro. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. And I'm still in this saying, is I, I realized I had turned into a human doing and not a human being. And this was God's way of saying, listen, dude, you're my child, I love you. You're super busy all the time, you're doing all the time. Even your sabbatical, you already filled it up and you hadn't done it yet. And I, I want you to stop. I want you to sit down. I want you to rest. Because what's most important, guys, this is what God taught me. He says, you've fallen into this trap of doing, 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 doing. In fact, God said, you're doing so much for me that you're not actually being with me. I was marching for Jesus all the time, but I wasn't walking with him like I should. 
God said, what's more important to me? Yes, you need to serve. You need to use the gifts I gave you, but not at the cost of not being with me. Does that make sense? Because what God wants most of all is you. He desires a relationship with you. He wants intimacy with you, personal time with you. And that's what he wants. And I don't, wasn't following this pace where I wasn't given enough. I was neglecting that because I was just busy doing ministry. Now, my life wasn't absent of prayer and study time, but it really wasn't as it should be. I didn't really, I fell in this place where I was so busy, I wasn't having this rhythm with God in my relationship with him. In fact, Ephesians 5.15 is a verse that God gave me on my sabbatical. And that verse says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as the unwise people, but as wise. Make the most of the time because the days are evil. See, time is not neutral. And we either use our time to invest into good or into evil. It's not neutral. We're going to use our time in doing one or the other, whether we realize it or not. It's invested into righteousness in the kingdom of God, or it isn't. Time's also fleeting. It's passing by. This, you, this world, it seems like we've got this long life, but it goes by, trust me, I'm 48 now, and it goes by faster than you realize. I look back, my kids are turning, my twin boys next week are turning 12. My, fifth, my daughter's going to turn 15 the week after that. And I'm like, where did they go? I was just walking in the room to change their diapers a minute ago. And now they're like, I'm like, man, it's gone by fast. So it's fleeting. So I've said, okay, God, I don't want to fill my time that I have left. I don't want to fill it with just doing. I want to fill it with the most meaningful time also that I can. I want to walk with you well and better. So, so how do I do that? How will I spend my time wisely? With regards to that, God gave me some other scripture through my sabbatical. And it's, it's a very popular scripture, but it became very fresh and very real to me uh, during that time. And that's in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It says this, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, which we talked about the world is, that's things that aren't of Jesus, aren't of God, right? That are not followers of him. The love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So the time I have left, I've got to invest into the things that's going to last forever. And that's my relationship with God, and that's people. Luke 9, 23-26 was the other scripture he gave me. And then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. He'll give it away to Jesus. But whoever loses his life because of me will, 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 will save it. So you, you give your life to Jesus and, and you get your life, you're saved. And for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. So another time that's short is time from now until the day that I stand before God one day. I want to make the most of that. Because I want to live, I don't want to live this life trying to get the most out of it. I want to live this life so I can get the most out of eternity. And I want to pay special attention to how I live. So one very clear thing that we learned from this scripture in 1 John and Luke is that we cannot we can't live a life that resembles the world. As followers of Jesus, we can't live a life that, that resembles the world because the living the life of the world and living a life of following Jesus lives in complete contrast to each other. 
It butts heads. It doesn't complement one another. I'm not to love the world. And I sat quietly and I begged the Lord. I said, God, reveal to me anything in my life that I've been blind to, that I love, that I shouldn't love. Something that is I value in my life that's of the world that, that you would say isn't for you as my child, as my follower, that's not for you. God, please reveal those two things to me. Okay? And I declared to the Lord that I want to live in a greater anticipation of your return. When you come, man, I want to live in greater anticipation of that. So re, re, reveal to me anything that's competing with that for my love of the Father. So here's what I compared this to. Anybody here have a pantry at your house? It's full of stuff, right? Okay. And sometimes your pantry gets, there's always the, the green beans in the back nobody wants to eat, or you buy, someone buys something on a whim, it's back there, and it's been there, seriously, for six generations, been handed down through your family, right? Pantries all have that stuff. We have stuff, and we realize it's not even in there. You're hunting for a snack. You're like, wow, when did that get here? You didn't even know what was in there. Has that ever happened to you guys? Yeah, it's Costco's fault. And so I, I, I compare it to this. It's like if you're like, you know, we eat pretty healthy. Like, we don't eat bad at our house. We, we eat pretty wholesome, pretty good food, pretty healthy, no problem. And then you invite a dietitian or nutrition into your home, and you say, can you go through my pantry and pull everything out that's bad for me, that's junk? And they're like, you bet. And they're pulling out all this stuff out of the pantry, and this stuff that's not good for you, that's junk, and you're like, I didn't know that was in there. Okay, I knew some of it was, but I didn't know, like, the pile's seven feet tall. Hey, can you put the Sour Patch Kids back? What are you doing? Like, you know, I, I know some of that was there, but you're shocked. You'd be shocked if you really looked at your pantry how much garbage is probably in there. So I did this. I did this exact same thing. But I asked and invited the Holy of Holies to do it with my soul. I said, God, rip me apart. Pull all the junk out, reveal it to me, and put it in a pile. And then when the pile's there, let's light that sucker on fire. I don't want it in my life anymore. And that was a scary thing to be that vulnerable before God because I was afraid what I was going to see. Because there might be things that you're blind to that you don't even know are there. But I'll tell you what, I was surprised. Some of it I was maybe ashamed, and, but I was so refreshed. And I was so renewed to get those things out of my spiritual pantry, out of my life, and give those over to God and say, take that away. These are things that I should not be okay with. Because, you know, you ever have the, the, you ever hear that story of the boiling the frog that gets boiled? You put a, a frog in a, a pot of water, he's like, this is nice. <laughs> and you turn the flame on, and it warms so slowly. He's like, this is cool. And he doesn't realize all of a sudden it's boiling, and now he's being cooked. And that happens in our lives. We allow things of the world in our lives, and sometimes we get used to it, and we don't realize it before we're cooked. We're like, man, where did that come from? I didn't, I didn't even see it. So what I realized is, is that in my busyness, and also I walked through some hurt, some relational brokenness in our church that we went through, everything's healthy and good now, but some, some hurt, that I stopped living as intentional as I should in my relationship with God or as I need to. So friends, we need to truly, if we're not already, we need to wake up and we need to realize that we live in a society, we live in a culture that was shaped, was formed, was manipulated by our enemy, by Satan. Okay, he's, he's the one that's in the world. And he has shaped this culture that, that, that we're being absorbing and that we're letting to influence our lives. The, the very enemy of God, our enemy who's out to destroy us, has shaped our culture. And we need to be careful what we have absorbed from it and our faith. Right? We need to be very, very careful and protect that. 
So God's commands, the teachings of Jesus, it's not a burden. But we're to delight in his ways. But how are we also to, how are we to delight in the ways of Jesus if we're also delighting in the ways of the world? It doesn't work. So I ask this, if, if you're someone who views their faith as an escape from hell, do you also, hopefully you view it as a way to righteousness, a way to be more like Jesus, to be in this relationship with him, to be known by the creator of everything. So all of this I was reminded of by the Lord, and I sat there looking at this pile of junk, and most of which I, I didn't realize was there. And I was like, man, how do I move forward? How do I go spiritually shopping? How do I go down in my life and not put these things back in my cart at the store and put them back in my pantry? How do I make sure these things don't come back into my life? And it's like, it's by living intentionally. Being purposeful of how I walk with God. So I looked into two scriptures of two people. One's a people group and one's a a, a person. And the first one is, many of you probably have heard this story if you grew up in church. Some of you maybe this will be new to you, but it's a story of, Moses and he, he God's people and he, he freed them and led them out of Egypt, split the Red Sea. He's got that story right. And so God's people, they're set apart for him, much like we are, are us believers. And they were they were in Egypt and then they were there freely. And then all and then eventually the a new Pharaoh came along. He's like, wow, there's a lot of Hebrews here. And he got a little scared, like, what if they want to take control and all this? So that they they put them in captivity and they made them slaves. So they lived in slavery for so long in Egypt. And then Moses, God brought Moses along and used Moses to set them free. And, and they left. And when they left, they, they, said, they, they said, take stuff. So they, they took gold, they took silver, they took Egyptian possessions and, and took with them when they left. Now, many of these people, these Hebrews, they were actually born in Egypt. They'd been there so long, they, they weren't in their own land. So they grew up in this Egyptian culture. And so I would think that they, how much of that Egyptian culture did they absorb and take with them, not just possessions, but other things, because this was a culture that worshipped false gods and had false beliefs. So how much of that do they take with them? And I think the answer is in that story, because God had them wander around in the wilderness for a long time. And it was really, I think, to purge a lot of the stuff that they were dragging along with them from Egypt, that God said, you need to lay that stuff down before you enter into the promised land I have for you. And I think the same is for us. How much stuff are we carrying from this world with us as we're trying to live our life with Jesus? And the thing is, is we need to set those things down and not drag it along with us because it affects our relationship. So the other person I looked at is, real quickly, is our, our friend Daniel. You guys know Daniel in the lion's den? That is a cool story where Daniel is going to get punished by the king and thrown in the lion's den, and, uh, and the, the king loves Daniel. And he, he didn't really want it. He's like, oh, I hope you're okay. And then, but these lions, and then the next morning they open up the lion's den, and Daniel's just like kicking it with the lions. They didn't eat them. I love that story. I don't ever want to try it myself, but I love that story. So this is happening in that time. And it says, it says this in Daniel 1.8. It says, Daniel determined, because Daniel was being held captive also, being, being really drugged from his homeland into Babylon. And he's being held captive also, and not in his, in his land or with his people. Daniel 1.8, it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch to not defile himself. So there are certain foods and things that by, by how they lived back then that he would defile himself if he participated in them. So the word determined is where I want to zero in on that. 
So that word determined. He determined not to defile himself. So here is this adjective. It means having resolved to a decision and will not change it. So he, he resolved this decision that I'm not going to defile myself for the Lord and, and I'm, I'm not going to change this. So then this thing happened where all these other leaders in Daniel's land got jealous of Daniel because the king really dug him and thought he was really cool. He's doing a great job and doted on Daniel. And they were jealous. And they're like, how can we get this guy brought down a few notches? Man, what are we going to do to him? So they go to the king because they know he's kind of vain because he's a king, right? And he goes, hey, why don't we make it a law that no one should bow down and worship, pray anybody but to you? The king's like, huh, I kind of like that idea. Good idea. And he signs that into law. You can't pray to anyone else. Well, it says here, when Daniel sees this declaration, here was his response to that law. Daniel 6.10. It says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs rooms were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So that phrase of just as he had done before tells me that Daniel had this rhythm in his life with God where he would pray three times a day. And some of us are lucky if we pray, pray once a day. And this guy's got this rhythm in his relation with God where he got down and he would pray regularly. So living in a kingdom that was not of the Lord, I would argue that Daniel remained undefiled and faithful because he had a rhythm of his life with God where he remained close to him. Daniel knew that in order to resist the beast of Babylon, to thrive as a worshiper in this land, that he needed a plan that enabled him to pay attention to God. To not be distracted, but to pay attention to God. So I want to introduce you to this thing, because I'm, I'm really what I'm really talking about is spiritual formation. And, and living your life with uh, and for God intentionally in every aspect of your life, where it's not a life where I'm kind of living and doing my thing, and Jesus is just kind of one of the ingredients in it, but it's really a life where Jesus is at the center and the rest of my life is built around him. And the rest of my life is for him, okay? So this is what God did for me on my sabbatical, and I really was able to, to rest uh, and reorganize my life and change my stride with God, change my relationship, my rhythm that I had with God and get it set back to where it used to be and where it needed to be. And so I hope this helps you. This is called the rule of life. This is not about a bunch of rules or anything. It's just, it's called the rule of life. They actually call, I call it something different. I call it my life's trellis because the, the Greek word um, uh, for the rule that they use for that, it, it means trellis. You guys know what a trellis is? As my, maybe some of your parents have it or your grandma or someone says like web together lattice work of wood or string or something and vines grow up it and look all pretty or some farmers use trellis for grapes to grow on. Trellis is so they can grow it in a, intentional purposeful direction where they want it to go and a trellis also makes the plant healthier and it produces more fruit and this trellis is really of my life it's just a framework for my life with jesus to grow on so that i'm transformed more like him and i have a healthy more fruitful relationship with him so it's not this list of rules it's a framework for me to live out my relationship with jesus in does that make sense follow me so far what it is because we're all formed into something. We're all going some direction, but if we're not doing it intentionally, we don't really have control over where we're going if we just let it happen, right? And then it gets us where we don't want to go. So I realize in our modern times how important it is to, that we live intentional as disciples of Jesus. 
that, so that we don't have a love for this world, but we abide with him and walk with him daily. So I have this basics. I've stolen these basics of trellis of life from what people have developed literally over centuries. And I'm going to tell you what my pieces are. And in just a couple minutes, um, you're going to break into your groups here, like kind of like you did last night. Break into your groups, and your counselors and your leaders have these papers for you. And you're going to start on this as a group. You're going to start on it as an individual, and we'll have some pens if you need them in the back. You're going to start on these together, spend some time, and then we're just going to do a quick prayer time, a wrap-up, and we're done. But you're going to start filling these out. And let, let me share with, with you what these pieces are. And these pieces aren't going to look just like mine. They're not going to look just like the person next to you. They're going to look like what they need to look like for you. And this, you're not going to finish this today, but my prayer is you'll take this and, and go further with it down the hill and be intentional and finish it. Maybe you'll finish it as a group. I don't know. But take it how you will and, and use it. But you also, there's some things in mind that I can do that some of you, you're not in control of your calendar 100% yet, right? Mom and dad tell you to do this. We got to go here, go there. So for instance, I'll show you prayer. I want to be very intentional in my prayer life. So I have listed here day, week, and month, and year. So I, this is what my trellis looks like with my prayer time with God daily. My wife, I don't do it anymore because it's become a habit. Because, but before it became a habit, every day I had five alarms set on my phone. And her and I would be talking, and all of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. And I'd be like, okay, hold on. And I'd go pray. It'd be a short time of prayer, three, four, five minutes. I had extended prayer time in the morning, extended prayer time in the evening, but I had a bunch of times in between that connected me back to God because I get so busy for God that I forget about God during the day. So that reminded me. Now it's this habit. And my wife was like, when is it going to become a habit because your alarm's going off every hour? So it became a habit. So that's my daily time of prayer. Then there's a weekly where I'll actually have an extended where it's more like two, three-hour time with prayer. And then I've got a monthly where we'll go away and our church allows us where I'll go away for a whole day once a month and I'll just pray. I'll pray all day with God. And I'll bring scriptures and, and I'll pray the scriptures. I love praying the Psalms. Those are awesome. Awesome ways to start because it's important to have a God-centered focus on your prayer and not a you-centered focus. And then I started asking God these questions too that, that I learned through this book that's been helpful to me in my prayer. Once, once a day, I'll have a prayer time where I just ask these questions and I have God reveal this to me, help me fluster it. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? And what am I glad about? And that's been so helpful to me. And then there's a year, and you may not be able to do this at your age because it's not maybe up to you, but go, I go away for a whole week alone, sometimes with a friend, another pastor, and we'll pray. We'll just spend time praying the whole week. Sometimes it involves fasting. And then, and then another piece of, of, of the sabbatical for me was, um, whoop, let me get there, was uh, uh, whoops, silence and solitude. That's a hard one for me. I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you noticed. I love people. I love talking. And I like alone time in the morning. But extended periods of alone time, I get dried up. But I realize I'm not alone in that. I'm with God. So how am I going to live that out? My, what is that going to look like? Study. Studying God's Word is different than for me than my devotion with God's Word, my devotional time. But when am I really going to study his, his Word? So I've got a rhythm where daily how I do that, weekly how I do that, and then I go away and I take an extended time once a year where I study God's Word. So all these different things. What am I going to look like daily? Rest. This was a big one for me. I've never done this. Do you guys, anybody take an actual Sabbath where you chill, like on Saturday, Sunday maybe or whatever day for you, you just chill, you don't do anything? Like they, they, the, the Jews would take a Sabbath and, and some of them were very legalistic about it like because Jesus was accused of violating it where if you just even helped an animal out of the mud, oh, you worked. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. It's supposed to be a day of rest because on the seventh day, God rested when he created. 
So I'm not legalistic about the Sabbath at all, but I have a Sabbath, and it's usually on Fridays, because I, I work on Sundays, right? And so it's on Friday, and Friday is, is our Sabbath day as a family. And so we chill, and we do things that are life-giving to us, and we rest, and we use that time to connect with God. I don't ask my kids to do any weed pulling or anything like that on that day, or you know, I don't, I don't, anything like that. They just kind of chill. We do, or sometimes we'll go as a hike as a family. I'll do yard work on my Sabbath. I won't pull the weeds because I hate that, but I might plant some flowers or prune a tree or something like that because that's life-giving to me. I'm not doing it every day. It's not work. It's, it's life-giving to me. So do things that are life-giving to you and just really rest. And here's the, here's the reason. And connect with God while you're doing that because it, it refreshes you, energizes you, and you're ready for the week to come to be even more faithful to God. I realize how important that is. Then there's another piece, work and activity service and mission. How am I going to serve the Lord? I'm intentional about that. What's the, the mission that I'm going to do for him? Care for my physical body. I reinstated eat, eating better, moving more, sleeping more, getting to bed on time. All of these things play into a healthy relationship with God. This rhythm of life that I got going. See how we're building a rhythm? You guys get that? Where there's this, this rhythm and it's this framework for us to grow. Relationships. I'm intentional about the time I spend with my family and the community of people that God has around me. So we're going to have you work on the rules of life, because here's what this really is. My hope and dream is that you guys will take this, begin to form one. You won't be done today, but you'll take it down the hill and you'll apply it to your life so you can be successful. You don't walk down the hill and go, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do next. How do I walk with Jesus? How do I spend time with him? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Let's get ahead of it. Let's be ready as you go down, back down the hill and the changes that God has made in you. Let's stay with that and apply this to our life. Does that make sense? So we're going to break into our groups, and I want you guys to break into your groups. Your leaders and, and counselors and pastors will help you and start spend some time prayer, praying as a group and then spend some time as an individual sitting there quietly starting to fill this out and then end with some time um, where you're actually sharing with one another. Hey, I'm thinking this is going to be great for me or this is my Sabbath. I can't do a whole Sabbath day. I don't know if my parents will let me, you know, whatever. Or maybe say, go back to your family. and say, I'm going to go back to my family and say, can we do this as a family? Whatever it may be. How much time do we have, Brian? Ten minutes. So take 10 minutes to do that, and then I'm going to end with one piece of Scripture and, and a prayer, and we're going to be done. Sound good? So we're going, to, we're going to go like bunnies really fast into our circles. Your counselors already have those papers. You guys ready? Set, go. All right, so we're going to wrap up. I had a great question up front. They said, what does work or activity mean? So to clarify on that, for you, it might mean school. School's your work right now, right? So how are you going to pay attention to God while you're at school? Or it could be how are you going to be serve at your church or serve in your community or serve a, 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 maybe a widow in your neighborhood? Or how are you going to serve the Lord? Okay, so if there's confusion about being intentional about that, having a plan about that. So if I can get your attention, I just want to, I want to close out with something. So here's a quote from Jesus. We read it earlier. It says, And anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. And the meaning of what Jesus said here is simple. The life lived in and for the world and the life yet to come are incompatible. We can live for one, but guys, we cannot live for both. So my encouragement to you is be very intentional and live with Jesus. Live with Jesus. So take this. This is a starting point for you. Take this down the hill. Rework it. Make a new sheet. I don't care. Put it in a journal. Put it in a notebook. Rewrite it. But work this. It'll change as you grow. It'll change as you get older. But keep this as a part of your life because you'll see that you, you get this rhythm with God and you're paying attention to him in every piece of your life. And then all of a sudden, you're going to notice that, man, my relationship with him has definitely changed. Things have grown. Things have blossomed. It couldn't be more amazing.
So that's my encouragement to you. Take it down the hill. Be real. Be real with God. Right? All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this weekend. That God, we rejoice and we praise you for the work that you have done. This powerful work, this mighty work, this eternity-changing work. People that have gone from death to life. People that, have, that were walking uh, in dark areas now, walking in light. Your light. We thank you, Lord, for that. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. God, I pray as these, these students, these adults, myself, as we go back down the hill and we engage back into our normal context, that things are not normal. That things are different. Things have changed. That we have this new rhythm set with you where we pay attention to you in every part of our life, not just on Sundays, not just at youth group, not just on special trips to the mountains, but every day. You're at the center. You are our light. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.